Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at RedtailTalk90, and my co-host is Jade. Hello, I'm Jade. You can find me most places on the internet at jadeoxidrose, and I use they-them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience of the friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Uh, Today, we are talking about Animorphs 45, The Revelation, uh, which is aptly named for once. Uh, Yeah. And uh, it it it's a good book, good book. Um, yeah, if I ever have reason to find myself in the same space as Ellen Jero, they're getting a drink bought. I'm just going to be like, yeah. "Hello, you have no idea who I am, unless you listen to Animorphs podcasts, which you <laughs> might do. Let me buy you a beverage because your books make me feel things." Yep. Yep. Uh. After the slight misstepping in places. What was the last one that Ellen wrote that we had some quibbles with? Uh, It was, I think it was 43. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it was the the taxon one. Mm, mm, Yep. Um, But yeah. uh, I was not expecting this (laughs) plot-wise. This is like... We're talking about going into Endgame now. We're closing in on the end. It's getting increasingly hard, apparently, for me to keep avoiding spoilers. I was watching a video essay no on Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh no! And there was, and the quote as was like uh, a quote from Animorphs, an all powerful being talking to a teenage girl, and I'm like, stop the podcast, stop the video essay. <laughs> I must not know. Oh no! It's fine. um it's fine just (laughs) but um it makes sense that this late in the game big shit is like significant changes are going to start happening happening in the plot Mm -hmm. like because you're getting near the end like season fun series like final season now is the time i was not expecting a full-on reveal to a parent of the Mm -hmm. plot Mm-hmm. Um, and this is very cool. I think it makes sense. Uh, let's. We're about to get into the specifics. This is a Marco book, um, mm-hmm. and very early into the book, to be clear, uh, he ends up revealing to Peter everything, mm-hmm. and it is so much. And I have a lot of feelings about my son. Um, just, this book has so few missteps and when yeah. I say there's a, maybe a couple of odd lines that may just go mm, mm-hmm. don't care for that um, but th- yeah this book is a win for me like we'll get to the ratings at the end as is our way but as I was saying I messaged Danielle earlier like I'm part way through just like skin cleared crops watered spirits buoy. <laughs> mm, yes <laughs> Good, good shit. Everybody's yeah. voice feels on point. The plot mm-hmm. is great. The stakes are high. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. Axe is befuddled by humans being smart and having to adjust his uh, feelings about Adelite superiority. Hilarious. This is all very good shit. Yep. And considering the last time we saw Peter, there was some choices made with his writing. Um, I really like... This is the first time since probably our Fangor that we've seen like a, re- a respectful portrayal of a competent adult mm-hmm. who's a good guy. Mm-hmm. It's very nice, mm-hmm. but also the fact that he that he's allowed to be smart mm-hmm. and helpful, and so often in kids' media, when a parent is brought in for whatever reason, unless it's part of the gimmick that they've always been smart, thinking like uh, Danny Phantom and stuff like that, where they're always like of a certain right, way. Right. Having the parent come in and get to be useful mm-hmm. and um, important to the plot and not just a plot device is very satisfying, at least for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, Peter's a lot more likable this time yeah, around as well. He definitely is. Like his things that he's upset about in this book, his objections mm-hmm. you can absolutely see coming from someone dealing with the fact that their child has been maturing in a way they haven't been witness to. And like you get the bit, Peter is immediately aware of the tragedy of what this is. Mm-hmm. And you can, like, see it, even from Marco's perspective, you can see people going, oh, oh, no, something horrible has been happening to my child and I have not been able to protect them from this. Yeah. And I had no idea it was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like every parent's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, before we dive in proper... Some book-specific yes. content warnings. There aren't a whole lot of, like, really specific, typical content warning type stuff. Um, mm. There is some manipulation happening um, f- from Marco to his dad. Uh, that's most explicit at the very end of the book. Um, mm. uh, there's some torture aftermath. Um, we don't see the torture happening. We just see someone who has been tortured. Um, mm-hmm. And Peter is kidnapped, which is kind of what sets off this whole chain of events. Um, there is so. also a, a very well-written instance of characters' death being faked. This is also true. Um, which it just occurs to me as we're doing the warnings that um, for a moment could be... V- it's one of those things where knowing that there's a lot of books coming after is one of those ones that makes you go, well, they're not actually dead, right? Quickly turn mm-hmm. the page. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have a couple of instances of, ah, you thought they were dead. No, they're not. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> um, and, yeah, there's some particularly brutal injuries pop up in this one. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's nothing we haven't seen before. Uh but uh, it's described in a way where it's just like, mm, yeah, nah, that would suck. Yeah. I'm thinking of specifically of Rachel at the end. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Just Rachel is a fucking queen in this book. She's so F- good. 
Marco Rachel as a fucking dynamic duo. This mm, mm. everything Rachel does in this book. Yeah, she's a little bit cutting in places, but she is just perfect. Like, yeah. okay, everyone is perfect in this. <laughs> frankly, like there might be a few nitpicks. So perfect, maybe hyperbole. But everybody has these moments where you love them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's just not enough to bias, but this even he gets to have some good moments. But mm-hmm. there's never enough to bias. <laughs> the trade-off is that we have a decent amount of acts, and he is yeah. written as competent. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we should get into it. We should get into it. Uh. Okay. So, we open on Marco being super cute and cooking a meal for Peter and Nora, um, who, if you recall, is his new stepmother, uh, because not the last time we had a Marco book, but the time before that, it was all about Peter getting married to Nora, um, and Marco having to deal with that. Um, but Marco is going the extra mile and cooking a Red Baron pizza. <laughs> I love this. Like he's like no chef boyardee for me. You know, this boy <laughs> buys the quality brand name freezer pizza, which is just. Mwah. I do love that. How to a thirteen year old boy that is probably also peak. Like yeah, mm-hmm. this is the good food. Mm-hmm. I'm using the Obviously. oven. I'm cooking. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's very as as it's very good and cute. Um, oh. and it, it's just very funny. This good bit of repartee about uh, how, uh, but Marco, man, you're fighting a war against alien invaders. You and your friends, you guys battle yurks twenty four seven. How do you find the time to cook? It isn't easy, but with a little help from the freezer aisle and a guy I know called Red Baron, it's a lot simpler than it could be. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm, lovely. Yep. Um, uh, and. And we have, he wants, he says here that he's trying to make his stepmom feel glad that she's married to his dad, mm-hmm. even if he's not a hundred percent behind the marriage still, that she makes him happy and that is worth something. So he's clearly like adjusted to the state of being and not just like passively accepting it, but he's making an effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Nora comes home. It's honestly pretty cute. Um, <clears throat> she's, like, really excited at the fact that he actually cooked dinner. I get the sense that, like, he he told them that, like, hey, I'll make dinner tonight. Don't worry about it. And then he actually followed through with it, which is the surprising mm-hmm. part for Nora. Um, and <laughs> uh, and <laughs> you're the stepson of my dreams, um, which is, like, it's really cute. Uh, and... Uh, then his dad comes home. His dad is clearly extremely, like, extraordinarily happy. We've seen his dad be goopy, uh, in Marco's terms, uh, with Nora before and just generally, like, happy to be around her. But he is above and beyond happy this evening. Um, but, uh, everyone kind of sits down to eat this pizza that Marco has so graciously made for everybody. <laughs> um, and uh, Peter reveals that his team is working on what may be one of the greatest advances in human history. Um, you get the sense that he may have been working on this for a while and they just like had a huge breakthrough kind of thing. 
Um, and, uh, everyone, Marco's not really taking him very seriously. He's like, oh, it's, it, like, this is math engineering shit. Like, okay, sure. This is, yes. Great, great strides for humankind, dad. Great. Um, and <laughs> we get this thing where he's like, oh, I, sh I shouldn't tell you what it is because it's top secret. And I'm over here like, I just read that Tumblr post about terrible OPSEC in media. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, of course, Marco's dad tells them what it is. Uh, because the words top secret don't mean anything to lay people who don't have to deal with that. Um, and, uh, we get this, we get a description of it first. Uh, and it's a really cool description too, especially once you know what he's talking about. He talks about, like, the entire universe pretended exists on the surface area of a cone. Um, and like, we, uh, living in this space can move along the surface of the cone. Um, but we have to like traverse a distance from point to point on the surface of the cone. But there's also a point on the cone, the very tip, where it touches everything instantaneously, right? There is no traveling a distance between one portion of the cone and the other because you're simultaneously at all angles of the cone at that one point. Um, and how if you could uh, tap into that point, you could use it to travel between places on the cone much, much faster than you would regularly or to communicate much, much faster than you would regularly. Uh, and the astute reader uh realizes slightly before his dad drops the name that uh Marco's dad is talking about zero space z space as we know it um and the it's it's really funny how it happens because like uh Nora basically asks Peter like what are you calling it and his dad's like i don't know what do you call something that isn't you know what could you call it? Zero, I suppose. Zero space. And Marco, who at this point has traveled to the, like, the, the family room, sitting on the couch, nearly swallows a lung. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just casually hearing his dad bring up this concept that he has only ever heard in terms of, like, this awful war that he's fighting. Um. And... Immediately, Marco realizing that this is this is a big thing. He's not sure exactly what kind of thing it is, but it's very big. So he calls Jake. Uh, there's a tense moment um, because he calls Jake, gets Tom, hangs up, and Tom star sixty nines the call and is like, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> um, <laughs> Marco's just like, "Oh, I was trying to get I was trying to get Jake." Uh, no, wait, that's sorry. that's the lighter call. Yeah. Oh, oh, it call. is. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, in this one, he just no. he ca he calls Jake and is like, "Hey, we have a situation." 
The later call where he ends up speaking to Tom, which is in like a chapter or so, is very yeah, funny, yeah. to be clear. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and Jake's like, all right, let's meet in 20 minutes. Cool, great. Um, and <laughs> Dad was still talking to Nora. We're working on a way to communicate through the singularity. Normal matter is dimensional and in theory couldn't pass through. Newsflash, Dad, my matter passes through the singularity several times a week. Every time I morph, my excess mass gets sucked into nothingness, a bubble in time. Marco's biggest fear at this point is that his dad has been yerked. Um, because if he knows about this shit, then, like, something yerky has got to be involved. Like, there's no way that humans just spontaneously develop this, right? Um, and so he starts to kind of, like, pose leading questions to his dad, um, trying to, uh, posit, like, why would this be even better than radio? Um, he's so smart here. Like, he the way is. he's doing this is a way to not give himself away, because Marco isn't this kind of, he's not math smart, he's not engineering smart. And uh, and just gauging his dad's answers and the what not just the answer themselves but the way that they're answered, mm -hmm. and it's just the clear level of insight Marco has here, and mm -hmm. his approach to doing it with no opportunity to plan. He's just doing this off the cuff. Mm -hmm. Is really impressive. Uh yeah. It's it's like. Marco is posing these questions and looking to see if there's any trace of, like, a Yurk uh, being almost bored, having to explain this stuff, or being arrogant at, like, yeah, human, we have given your species this thing now, or um, anything that would uh, uh, reveal something other than this kind of genuine excitement that Peter is exhibiting. Um, and <laughs> Marco goes on, like, when you say you could send communications, like, who the fuck would you talk to? Like, we don't, th <laughs> other than fossilized life forms on Mars, we don't exactly have anyone uh, answering the phone. Um, and Peter's just like, <laughs> your world is so small. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a prisoner of your education. Um, I love Peter. This is such big nerd energy. It is. Like I have, I know friends like this. Just like, oh god, what are they even teaching you in schools? Uh, uh -huh. But um, it comes up later where Marco observes, like, do all nerds just secretly want to be aliens mm -hmm. <laughs> because of how well Peter is going to deal with stuff later? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just very good. Yeah. Um, and then there's this real moment where he's like, okay, well, we could try music. Uh, just like when he carries on and Marcus, okay, so what language then? Um, if there's life out there, it doesn't mean they speak English. And he's such, well, we can try music or math, the universal language, which is something Nora said earlier. And I would be mad about it. Uh, her sang that line, but one of my favorite movies of all time is Pacific Rim, with the immortal line of numbers is the closest thing we have to the language of God. Um, so I can't judge too much. And also, this is true. Like, numbers, 
generally have more universality, at least mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. comprehension. If you understand a certain level of math, you're going to be able to explain, understand it regardless of the language. Like most places use the same numbers. Mm-hmm. Once again, thank you uh, to Islam in the Middle East for giving us the number zero. Mm-hmm. You guys are out. <laughs> uh, Love and, zero. And uh, basically his dad, it, Marco's getting this sense that like this, my dad can't be yerked because he's, he's too he's excited. Reacting. He's clearly in love. Right. He's acting so genuinely. Um, but he recognizes also that he needs some kind of hardcore proof um, because yerks can perfectly mimic how they're supposed to act. Um, and his dad gets up and is like, I got to go back to the office. Um Higher ups say that if by the end of the week our team perfects the small device, uh, we get to present our findings at next month's conference. Um, basically, he's like, I just came home for dinner. I got to go back to work and, you know, slave away on this thing because one, it's really exciting. And two, it could mean a really, really big thing for our family um, because it me- could mean a lot of money for us. Um and then he says, uh, it also means an all-expenses-paid five-day vacation. And Marco's like, ah, proof? Five days? Um, it's, it's really funny because uh, his dad is immediate, like, immediately like, yeah, you get to miss school for five days. Why are you... Why are you questioning this? <laughs> Why are you questioning this? <laughs> are you a pod person what have you done with my son <laughs> um and cut to meeting at the barn um axe is very <laughs> unbelieving like, of no, the no, fact no, no, that no, no, humans no. could have done this humans can't have done this no 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 <laughs> this You're is not definitely the yerks <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate to Rachel's rebuttal, who is currently working on her math homework. It's just like, eh, why would why would Yerks use humans to develop a capacity they already have? That's just weird. <laughs> um, we do get the lovely little observation from Marco that Rachel is actually planning to pass the test because uh, she isn't content with just being beautiful. But I, I just like that detail mm-hmm. that she's studying with an intent to pass. Mm-hmm. Um. They're meeting at the barn. They're fairly certain they're not going to be disturbed because Cassie's parents are watching a wildlife documentary. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, a dome ship could land on the lawn mm-hmm. and they wouldn't even notice. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, and Marco continues that, like, it, it's probably not a trap. It would be, like, this is extremely elaborate for that kind of thing. Um you really think the Yerks would go to the trouble of planting the seed of Z-Space technology in some piddling human engineering firm, then wait for humans to pick up on it, and wait even longer for news of the development to leak out and reach us? That's slow and uncertain, not Yerk. Um. And, uh. The, you know, they bounce back and forth. Maybe it's just a rumor. But if that's the case, then Marco's dad has to be yerked 
because otherwise he wouldn't have this, like, he would know that it's just a rumor, right? Um, and Marco's like, no, they don't have him for sure. Um, I tested him. And Rachel's like, yeah, but like, he could just be playing along. Um, and Marco's like, no, look, maybe he's a dupe. Maybe he's an innocent member of the Yurkish team at the office, but he's not one of them, at least not yet. Uh, and then he has the brainwave of like, oh, fuck, he went back to the office. Where he's alone with all these other Yurks, theoretically. Um, have the Yurks just been waiting for the right opportunity to seize and infest him, like, tonight? Um. Put a pin in that, readers. Uh, we're going to come back to it. Mm-hmm. So I've been watching a lot of video essays recently. Got a lot of put a pin in that energy mm-hmm. going on. <laughs> uh, and Jake comes up to Marco and puts his hand on his shoulder. There's a lot of like Jake touching Marco in this book. Not a lot, but like it's noticeable. Uh, and yeah, uh, I the, uh, the, yeah, the, the the Cassie Marco Jake shippers, as mm-hmm. well as just the friend, the warning. Uh, importance of Jake and Marco's friendship. There's a lot of that, but there is some very good uh, OT3 fuel if that is the ship you are on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jake says, how do we handle this? It's your dad. It's your call. Jake is a diplomatic leader. He makes it a policy to ask for input. But what I really wanted right then was dictatorship. I wanted him to order us to save my father. I don't know, I said instead. What about a stakeout at Dad's office? He's there now. Jake glanced at Cassie. Okay, he said. A stakeout starting now. Axe and Tobias stick with Marco's dad until he leaves the office and gets home. That's when I realized why Jake had looked at Cassie. Jake had asked her if she thought I could be trusted. He said it all in one quick glance, and she'd said no. They thought I was too close to this. Poor Marco was about to lose a second parent to the em- to the enemy. Of course he'd snap. Marco, Jake continued, you keep watch on the home front. I'll check with Eric to see what he knows. We'll compare notes in the morning. I want to go with them, I said. It's more likely the Yerks will try to invest Dad away from home. They'll take care of it, Jake said. They don't have a stepmother waiting for them to come home. Nothing's going to happen without you. Did he mean it? Something in his tone made me wonder. You can't be sure of that, Jake. What if something does happen? I want to be there. You will be. Just go home for now. Everything's going to be cool. He smiled, but it didn't reach his eyes. I walked out of the barn and started down the road. I didn't morph to bird. I wanted to walk as a kid. I wanted to pretend for just a minute that a kid was all I was. But my mind knew better. Jake, my oldest friend, didn't trust me to do the right thing when family was involved. I would show him he was wrong. Like... Mm-hmm. Stab me in the chest, it would be kinder. Yeah. I love the subtlety of it. Of mm. of Jake just... Because we have seen in Jake's perspective when he does this and he'll like shoot a glance at Cassie or at Marco to get their opinion on what someone just said. And then, you know, they'll do like the small shake of a head or something. You know exactly what happened in that glance. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that Marco also picked up on it. Mm-hmm. And it's 
He's so smart and it's so devastating. And there's also, like, on the flip side of that, just, like, not to say it's not smart, but the fact that he's putting it all, Jake, my oldest friend, didn't trust me to do the right thing. Jake isn't the one that didn't trust him in this moment. He didn't trust his own opinion of Marco in that moment, which is why he went to Cassie. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, I think that's very interesting. And and also, that's Marco's take on it. Because Cassie's objection could be, we shouldn't make Marco do that. Not now, not until we know more. But Marco reads it as not being trusted. Because mm-hmm. that's what him shaking the head on something tends to mean. Mm-hmm. And again, it calls to that subtlety here in the writing mm-hmm. that is just super compelling. Yeah. And it's just because. From... Please, carry on. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> just the, the thing from one friend to another of like the fact that he had to ask. Mm hmm. Yeah. And didn't just, you know, go with his gut and and be like, yes, Marco, you can go on the stakeout mission. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. What were you going to yeah. say? Let's see if I can remember. Because <laughs> my brain whoop. just went, whoop. Yep, no, it's fine. It'll come back. If I remember later, I'll bring it up. I'm looking at our notes. Yep, no, it's gone. It's fine. Uh, This pays off, though. Yes. Um, Of course it does. Oh, this I was going to say. Marco has done the right thing Mm -hmm. before. Like, we know he can, has, will do so again. Like, And this whole book is about that. Mm-hmm. To like to circle back to some of our older discussions about like the thesis statement of a character or a book. This is will Marco do the right thing? Mm-hmm. And he does, but it isn't the right thing that you would maybe expect. Like the choices he makes in this book, he does make choices. And the thing is like he's always looping in everybody else. He doesn't fly off solo at any point. Mm-hmm. He immediately, or and we're about to see it, gets someone with him or tells somebody what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And this is such an interesting point of growth for him because he is somebody that, by his own definition, is a coward. He will avoid the conflicts here without question. And there's this amazing moment, and I'm going to spoil it now, of him doing a morph without thinking about it because he needs or he's he's angry enough that his body reaches for the morph. Mm-hmm. This is the shit that I love, by the way. I, Jade, as a player in an Animorphs-themed game and also just as a reader, the way the, the just tapping into morphing and it being an emotional response mm-hmm. as much as it can be a choice I fucking mm-hmm. love that shit. It's good. Yes, show me powers going slightly out of our direct control. It's good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And 
But Marco being at this point where he will actively do a thing, but he always does, like, he, we do see him making these nods to the others. He will act, but he will make sure that the others are in on the, in on the loop. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about that, and now I'm going to get very emo- emotional over the next few books as we probably see more of this with everybody else, the ways they have shifted. And to be, or I shouldn't say shifted, I should say evolved, because I don't think it's an out of nowhere swerve. Mm-hmm. But I know it's character development and it's <laughs> upsetting in the good way mm-hmm. that Marco is now a person who can act. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's for the people he cares about. Yeah, we know who that is parents and the other animorphs. Mm-hmm. You know, the people we as the readers are focused in on. Yeah. It's good shit. And I'm just emotional about it. Yeah. It also makes me think about... Go ahead. mm -hmm. No, no, this is you. Because I was just going to say, this is just, again, that he can do the thing. He's the one that thinks other people think he can't. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Which... It ties into what I was going to say, which is that the last two times we saw Marco dealing with his family um, was, you know, 30 and 35. And 30 was him plotting to kill his mom. uh, And Jake stops him. And 35 is him talking to his mom. and. Uh, basically having Axe threaten Visser 1 with his mom's death and also like agreeing to let his mom go back to being enslaved because like it's what needs to be done uh if anything Jake isn't concerned that Marco will act out of um it's almost like he's afraid that Marco will will hold himself back. Does that make sense? Um, mm. Like, Jake recognizes it's been ten books since then, but Jake recognizes the... Uh, the... From, from a purely uh, ruthless point of view, the importance mm. of Marco's parents to Marco... Yeah, and like recognizing that if Marco loses his dad too, mm. he could become a loose cannon. He could totally shut down. Um, Jake is gonna lose a very good soldier. Yeah, uh, and I don't think that's consciously how Jake is thinking, but I think it's but a that, factor in it. Absolutely, like that. And he's talked about, he hates that pragmatism in himself. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen that last time we were in Jake's perspective. Like, that's one of the things he struggles with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes back to that old, uh, what they think is worse, thinking of a thing or doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suffer in the best way. Um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, just that. And this is like, what, the second chapter of the book we just finished? The third yeah, the uh, third. yeah. This book is like it does not stop like yep. this level of intensity. 
in terms of like emotional impact. Like there are quieter moments, but it's a little bit of a and it don't stop coming and it don't stop coming sort of books. Um, because our next chapter is an alarm going off. Marco's fallen asleep at uh doing his homework, and he picks this kid has an, a, an extension in his own room, mm-hmm. which is good shit. Uh, very 90s thinking um but it's the family line and he and his dad pick up at the same time mm-hmm. uh, peter having got back from work um and it's it's jack from work apparently and marco's like okay so dad's home alive in bed i should hang up or i could hang up should hang up i looked at my watch 11 p.m why was someone from work calling so late like and the fact that I mean, he describes himself as jolting from sleep like an SAC pilot at the alarm, mm-hmm. ready to run his plane, just like, again, hypervigilance, trauma, these children are not okay. Mm. Um, but this guy from work is like, got this, so just like a guy from the office has uh, was in a car accident and has died. And um, that his now widow is hysterical. She's, you know what it's like. You lost a spouse. We thought you'd be best at comforting her. Can you swing by her place? And Peter goes to do it because mm-hmm. you know he's a he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Marco hangs up. He can hear his dad downstairs uh, getting the address, and Marco's just like he's met Russ. He'd met his wife thinks about the night uh his mum disappeared um and he we do this moment of huh sad and i there's no tonality described there but he's clearly having this moment and he goes at his homework back looks back to his homework and then all at once it hits him um not the answer to his math homework but the phone call that somebody has called somebody from the Z-Space project late at night saying a voice, we thought you'd be best at comforting her. And he immediately like, this is a trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad's leaving and Marco is immediately beating himself up for not listening on the call long enough to get the address. But uh, Flies downstairs, nothing on the notepad at the desk. Um, but Savvy Boy spots Yahoo Maps still... Uh, Min- spots it minimized on the computer on the work on his dad's computer able to pull up an address um but uh he immediately calls for jake because he knows he needs backup he's not going to be walking he's going to be flying but he's got to do this first this is when he has the moment of calling for jake getting tom hanging up and getting star six nine um <laughs> it's amusing because Tom has finally discovered Star Six Nine, which makes me think it's not the first time one of the kids has called the house <laughs> and hung up when they've gotten Tom. Um, but uh, he rattles through Axe and Tobias are back in the woods. Uh, Cassie's parents would be in the way, so Rachel, she picks up. And we have just this brief exchange of they want to hang out because you're always speaking code. Uh, he gives an address and Rachel asks, like, what we talked about earlier. And uh, he's just like, uh-huh. And then he goes and hangs up and that's it. Heading out and get the detail of, I was glad Rachel was the one. If you think a situation could get ugly, you want Rachel on your side. 
Um, Nora briefly appears asking for Peter and Michael's just like, oh, he probably just ran to the store, probably had a craving for ice cream. He'll be back soon. Uh, which she seems to buy and goes back to the bed, goes back to bed. Uh, he heads out into the backyard, morphs off spray, but it's dangerous to do it there, but it's dark. And he heads over quick as following the street lights to a simple grid like the map on the Yahoo, which is a nice detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets to the place there's already a struggle going on inside and he's just like wishing Rachel was here as he's demorphed and like got his face up against the window and it is happening it's all bad Peter is in the process of being turned into a chair next to a portable yerk pool Russ is there clearly alive and Marco has this moment. He stands up. He's like ready to forget about caution, stealth, security, everything except his dad. But he can't move. Um, and he can see his father in there, terrified. Um, do like the detail of Peter being a fighter here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets slapped across the face as he struggles. He kicks at the pool. But um, as Marco's watching this, like trying to do the, is this even happening? Um, Then anger and hate reared up like demons inside of me. This can't happen, I said quietly. Not dad, not again. Instinct ordered me to eat the end the nightmare, lunge through the glass, destroy the controllers, free my father. But you're an anamorph, my rational mind argued, a soldier. You have to let it happen. You can't save him now. Even temporary freedom would mean the end. The Yerks won't stop till they find him, find you, your friends. You have to let it happen. It's the smart thing to do, the only thing to do. I watched. Dad's head was forced into the sludge, one eye sunk beneath the surface, the other fixed in horror on the slug that was swimming closer. Uh, And he shouts out no, and without realising it, he has morphed. Uh, as his huge gorilla fist smashes through the window. Uh, we've got the distinction. He doesn't, without realizing or willing it, the morph happens. Uh, gorilla, my outward expression of an inner rage too great to contain. That was it. This was the end of smart and the beginning of right, which is just, mm, mm, yes, good, mm-hmm. good shit, good mm-hmm. food. I live. <laughs> um, and unsurprisingly, a gorilla collating its way through the m- window kind of makes everybody pay attention. <laughs> um, and he just picks up a chair and throws it out of the way. Um, fun detail of like gorilla arms are like heavy machinery. You think, I'll oh, move that. And it just happens. <laughs> no straining, no effort. Um, but it smashes a mirror. And he bellows out in thought speak um, to, for them to get away from the pool. He's immediately recognized as Andalite by the, the dead man, Russ. Um, and he picks up a glass globe from a floor lamp and just punts it like a fastball. Um, this is just, it's real like snappy dialogue. And he like calls to his dad. 
uh, in a faking a voice deeper than his own, get it to get his head above the surface, which he starts trying to do. He's like straining against his hand. He picks up the other base of the lamp and starts smacking people around. And he is... Yeah, the he's watching because his dad can't pull his head away, can see a yerk beginning to slither into his dad's ear. And we get this fucking line of, it was maybe the weirdest moment I'll ever live. In an instant, everything changed. Live action became slow motion. I saw dad's future in my hands, my hands alone. And he is able to reach out snatch the back half of this yerk and yank it out of his dad's head um which does make the human controller back up um and he slides his dad still in the chair away from the pool and tips this mini pool over there was only the one yerk in there so clearly they they've picked up on something but also clearly a trap but what i like that little detail mm-hmm. um Uh, he opens the patio door so this small deluge of liquid carrying a yerk can just like go over the train (laughs) Uh, which apparently does so with a soft splat Um, which just makes me laugh Uh, but he's like the opposition has been crushed and is ready to sort of he's trying to do an intimidation check Um, and then but two new Hawkbazier have shown up He's able to duck and mostly avoid it. Uh, Still takes a bit of a graze. (laughs) Again, much more fighting with furniture. Um, He throws an armchair, hoists the couch, fully like, full Donkey Kong, uh, crashes the couch through an entertainment center, uh, which is just amusing. He thinks one of the Hawkbajir is laughing um, as they're like, oh, now they've got him because he's cornered. And the Hawkbajir does get a claw down around his neck, pushes him back. Um, his head starts spinning. We get a very Spider-Man-y one. Like, it's been fun, boys, but now I have to go home because enter Rachel. Uh, <laughs> Grizzly Morph just... Uh, gigantic paws armed with claws that can gut a salmon before you can say locks just knocks their head together Um, I don't even want to describe what Rachel did next let's just say those particular yerks won't trouble anyone for a while Um, we just get the uh, nice of you to show Um, he's falling back and all leaving like smears of blood on the wall smearing blood on the paintwork and she's like yeah looks like I'm a little late um, and hey, so there are sirens in the background. Peter's here tied to a chair, looking terrified because a talking gorilla just kind of saved his life. <laughs> uh, you know, as you do. And Marco is, he's, he's putting on a show. He's trying not to give away to his dad that it's him. Um, uh, but he's like, all right, we need. I need to say something to calm him down. So he's just like, we're here to help you. It's okay. And his dad just like, uh-huh. <laughs> um, Rachel just like, now what? What are we going to do? Uh, and Marco's like, obviously, we, uh, 
he's seen way too much. The Yerks intend to make everybody involved in the Z-Space research a controller. Um, and now that he's been saved by an Andalite bandit, there's no way out for him. Um, I looked, I paused looking at the total living room. What had I done? I was insane. This whole thing was insane. I think maybe it's time. I waited for Rachel's to, Rachel to answer. She was silent. I took it as a sign that she agreed. Um, one thing's for sure, she said suddenly. You so have to get out of here. <laughs> so he, like, grabs his dad. Just, like, his dad starts fighting him, an actual gorilla. And he's just like, listen up, we're the good guys, we're all you've got. And his dad just kind of, like, kicks him one more time and stops. Um, Marco <laughs> shoves him into the driver's seat of the of the car, of his dad's car. Um, gets in the passenger side. Rachel is like... Uh, how are we going to find where you've gone? And Marco's like, I'll get information to you. Uh, and Rachel kind of like dissolves into the darkness to demorph and get away. Meanwhile, Marco is ordering his father to drive, but his dad, uh, just kind of like slowly goes down the road. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just like driving, driving maybe the speed limit, probably under that, just kind of like casually going past these cars that are coming to chase them. <laughs> um, and uh, he, Peter starts to turn down onto the street that would take them home. And immediately Marco's like, no, you can't go there. Um, and Peter is like, but my son, my wife. Um, and Marco's like, no, head south, step on it. You can't go home. I couldn't let him. Impossible. Too dangerous. Nora was probably already in your cans. Um, and then the van that's chasing them hits them. Um, and his dad is just like, freeze. His dad is freezing, which is not unreasonable <laughs> it's a perfectly reasonable response to the situation however marco knows that they need to be moving and so he just kind of like leans over grabs the wheel from the passenger seat puts his foot on the gas from the passenger seat and just kind of like has them has them shoot ahead and onto the highway um they drive like maniacs because Marco can't drive even on a good day uh, and <laughs> now he's he's trying to drive from the passenger seat um, and they, they manage to get away um, they get on the highway they take an exit and they're able to take the exit properly whereas the vans that are chasing them can't turn as fast, and so they basically fall over and get into a huge wreck. Um, and so they're able to get away, get out of sight. Uh, there are bad drivers, and there are worse drivers. <laughs> um, they Marco turns them onto a two-lane back road, uh, and his dad basically kind of like shoulders him out of the, off the gas and and in, back into the passenger seat. Um, pulls them onto Which the shoulder. Which has no door. And just, 
There's no door. I do feel I need to mention this. On the passenger side, yes. Because when Marco opened it, he forgot he was a gorilla. <laughs> um, and uh, his dad, like, parks on the shoulder of this back road um, and is like, who are you? What are you? Remember those bladed guys who were trying to kill me? About 200 of them are looking for us right now. If you don't keep driving... The car stopped. Dad opened the door, threw himself out, and started to run. No, I yelled. He tumbled into the drainage ditch, got up, and took off across a field of tall grass. I yanked myself out of the car and loped after him. There was only one thing to do. But all I could think about was the last person who'd been in the know, the last person who'd discovered the Animorph's secret. He'd ended up trapped as a rat. Forever. We'd done it to him. We'd had to. Dad! I called in thought speak, in the voice that was my own. He froze, turned, looked back at me. In the glow of the car headlights, I began to demorph, to slowly transform from beast to boy right before my father's eyes. Dad stood still as a statue, eyes wide. As my body took shape, I saw tears start to well in his eyes. It's me, I said, as soon as my human mouth formed. Dad gasped huskily, stepped toward me through the grass. How? I don't understand. He touched my hair, my face, my shoulders. Then he grabbed me, hugged me. The tears on his cheek dripped onto my own. How? He said again. It's a long story, Dad. A really long story. Uh, and suddenly everything about the war is different. Yeah, I literally, when we out loud, went, holy shit. Like, I, I was not prepared for that to be where this book was going. Like, yeah. I was like, and it's only chapter four, uh, chapter six. What the fuck? What is the rest of the book then? So. <laughs> yeah. But yes, an actual revelation. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I might, I might just read the, the next chapter because there's a whole lot. Hell yeah! There's so much here. We ordered burgers from an all-night diner on the outskirts of town. The place was too much of a dump for the Yerks to check out, I hoped. I made us eat in the car anyway, in a dark corner of the parking lot. I told Dad everything. Almost. My story seemed to wash over him somehow. He looked stunned, disbelieving. He shook his head as though everything I was telling him was, well, just too much for the man. When I stopped talking, the first thing he said was that he had to call Nora. I let him walk across the gravel parking lot to the payphone. I let him dial the numbers. Honey, it's me, he said. Yeah, I'm okay. I could hear Nora on the other end, yelling, worried, scared. I'm with Marco, Dad said. Where? We're at the... I cut the connection and grabbed the receiver from Dad's ear slammed it down angrily. He glared at me. What was that? he demanded. For the first time since the brutality at Russ's house, it felt like the father I knew was with me. Real dad. Thinking dad. Authority figure dad. For the first time since I demorphed, the look in his eye was anything but distant. Why did you do that? I started to walk back to the car. He followed. I said, what was that about? I sat down on the passenger car seat. Dad got in his side and slammed the door. He had a door to slam. You know exactly what it was about, I said calmly. If you've been listening to me at all, you know that by now the Yerks have staked out our house, probably tapped our phone. 
I'd bet they're sitting on our couch right now, waiting for you to walk in the door so they can- Stop, Dad said angrily. Stop it. I've listened to you. I've heard every word. But you have to understand, I have no proof, no- How can I believe all these things you say? You changed from a gorilla into my son. But I only think- I only think I saw that. I was terrified. I was tortured, then kidnapped. Maybe my mind is making things up. Maybe this is a dream. Before he'd finished talking, I was on my way. My skin hardened, then blackened, then thinned like eggshell. Legs and arms shortened until there was nothing left to hold me up. I fell forward onto the seat, shrinking and shrinking until the crumbs from the burger bun looked like boulders. Then blindness cut my view. Shloop. My waist reduced to millimeters, splicing me almost in half. Oh God, Dad cried. Oh no. I was becoming an ant but I wasn't going to wait for the ant's mind to surface. No. I began to demorph. I let Dad watch me and all the horror and weirdness of morphing. I let Dad sit there, alone and up close with this new reality, as I demorphed back to boy and began to morph again. Feathers imprinted my skin in 2D, then 3D. They grew up and out as my body shrank and my head deformed. My nose grew hard and sharp and hooked. My fingers, though smaller, grew stronger became flesh-piercing talons, eyes sharpened to superhuman clarity. Again, I started the return trip to boy, back to the form Dad knew as his son. I have about twenty other lobsters I could morph to, I said as the last feather disappeared. Want to see my lobster? A cold sweat coursed in tiny rivulets down the side of my father's head. He didn't need to see any more. I'd scared him, creeped him out, made him nervous and worried and concerned. He was handling it. For a guy whose reality had just been completely rocked, he was handling it pretty well. He looked out through the windshield and stared for a moment at a point far away. The sun was just beginning to think about rising. It gave our desolate patch of the world a preview. Dad looked back at me. I get it, he said slowly. I get it. You've been through hell. Through hell and back, I smiled. A few times. Dad smiled back. I'm going to take you to some friends of mine, Dad, I said. You can hang out with them until we decide. Whoa, Dad said quickly. Are you nuts? I'm going to the police. Dad, the Yerks are the police. I can't let you do that. He was shocked and confused again. What do you mean you can't let me? I'm your father. I tell you what to do. Not in this reality, Dad. Not in this world. Dad, of course you're my father, I said, fighting an onslaught of emotion. And it would be so nice to have someone make decisions for me again, I added silently. I love you. I respect you. But I've been fighting this war for a long time. I've been on more missions, in more fights, and seen more terrible things than you can imagine. This is my fight. My war. Me and my friends. We know what's going on. You don't. Dad frowned at me, then looked back at the rising sun. You've told me what's going on, he said quietly. Not everything. I left something out. Dad chuckled sardonically. Let me guess. Visser Three's your father, your mother's an Andalite, and I'm no relation at all. No, I said. No way around it. My fingers gripped the vinyl of the seat. Mom's not an Andalite, and she didn't drown. She's the host to Visser One, the Yerk who started the invasion of Earth. Mom's been the Visser's slave since before she disappeared. Dad's face went white. You mean Eva? I mean Mom. Dad bent forward. His head hit the steering wheel. His hands pressed into his face. Oh, God, he said. She's alive. I didn't know. 
He rocked back against the seat. His head hit the headrest. If only I'd waited. He covered his eyes, then uncovered them, then reached for the glove box, rifled through, and pulled out a pack of cigarettes and a lighter. He stuck one in his mouth and made it burn. Dad, what are you doing? I said nicely. You stopped five years ago. Cut it out. Dad looked at me and threw the cigarette out the window. I love Nora, he said. I love her as much as I loved your mother. The words made my throat tighten. He didn't. Couldn't. Nora was nice, but she was a math teacher. My mother was everything. But he loved Nora. Somehow, that was news to me. Fatigue and lightheadedness struck me like a steel beam. My head was spinning. The rising sun seemed cruel and inappropriate. I'm going to take you to some friends of mine, I said quietly. Drive us back toward the city. My mother was in the hands of the enemy. I felt like I was the only one who cared. Dad loved this other woman. I wished I'd kept my mouth shut. My universe, my dreams were falling apart. You know, kids' books. There's, there's so much going on in this chapter, like just from the interaction at the payphone, which mirrors very strongly the interaction with David at the payphone, um, mm. and the like. The thing about, like, how? what do you mean you can't let me do this? I'm the authority figure here. What are you talking about? And Marco being like, God, I wish you were, but you aren't. And to Peter, who is portrayed, compared to 35, where it was definitely weirder. Um, in this book, it, his love for Nora seems much more natural and, mm. uh, it feels like you feel a lot of sympathy for him for being like, yeah, this woman that you grieved and, you know, that you loved and then grieved and were finally able to move past. Oh, by the way, she's alive. Um, and in the, uh, in the clutches of the Yerks, uh, which by the way, your current wife definitely is like, mm -hmm. it's, it's so much. And you really, you really feel for Peter in this moment because like, not only is he dealing with the shattering of his entire worldview because aliens are real. Um, the shattering of his entire worldview because his son is fighting a war that he had no idea was even happening. Uh, and, like, dealing with the fact that he is a parent who was unable to protect his son. And, like, and then also, by the way, your previous wife isn't actually dead. Um, She's alive and a victim of this war as well. Like Marco and the and the other Animorphs had a long time to come to grips with this stuff. <laughs> like not really a long time. 
because but they've they were been kind of working thrown... on yeah yeah but <laughs> they've been dealing with it since yeah and um, Marco has known for a while about Eva being alive and mm-hmm. the unwilling host of Vissel One. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, he didn't even know she was unwilling until later than that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, God, Marco, like, the. He is so compassionate. Yeah. Here. Like. Granted, he doesn't like mince words, but he very much is being honest and open with his dad here in a way that can't be easy. Um, But also, this is probably not the first conversation he's had to have where he is acting like the dad Mm -hmm. in their relationship. Mm -hmm. And that has to be occurring to Peter as well during Mm -hmm. this like is this my fault did I make him become an adult too soon Mm -hmm. because I couldn't cope and oh it turns out that was for nothing because Eva is alive and Mm -hmm. oh now technically I'm a polygamist as well that's (laughs) stressful um fuck because and they're like okay I've moved on oh wait now I'm a bad person for moving on because she wasn't dead so what does that say about me and like trying to deal with all of that going on, mm-hmm. trying to process all of this, that's so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I suppose it says something about the kind of person that Peter is. And then there's a moment of it later. He does this bit with Marco. Um, Marco doesn't get it all from Eva. Mm-hmm. Because Peter is here, terrified, just like, okay, processing, processing, processing. I'm going to compartmentalize this and, ooh, technology. Can I think about the exciting technology and not all the other horrifying elements of what is going on right now? Mm-hmm. It's so relatable. Yeah. And the fact that he makes quips and is so able to put pieces together as it goes on. Mm-hmm. He clearly loves his son so much as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just, I'm very emotional about all of this. Yeah. It's, uh... And just the... That last bit of, like, childhood that Margot was hanging on to. Poof. In the, the, this idea that, like, he'll free his mom and his family will go back to the way that it was. Mm-hmm. Like. It's so heartbreaking for everyone involved. Yeah, nobody wins here. Yeah. This is a rough time for everybody. And you said that about, like, Charlotte, the fact that in the process of this book, Marco loses every vestige now of his life that isn't being an animorph. Mm-hmm. Because he can't go to school anymore. Uh, uh, his home is gone. He has his dad and the rest of the book to come. And he saves his dad. So he has that. 
and he has the animorphs. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool, we got to where the dumb kids are. <laughs> oh, here we are. <laughs> we speed running animorphs over on dumb kids with... <laughs> <laughs> dumb kids playing hero. I was about to call us dumb kids with a death wish. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, depends who you ask, I suppose. 